You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. I'm often asked, how will I know the difference between what I think I want to do and what I know I want to do? This goes all the way back to uh, conversations I have regularly with clients, particularly when I meet them first. When I ask them, what do they want out of life or what do they want to achieve or what goals do they have? Or even for that matter, what do they want to achieve this week, this month or even today? And almost without exception, when people attempt to answer that question or those questions, I get an answer that is related to what they think they want, what they think their goals are, what they think they want to achieve, by reference to what they see going on around them as the norms of happiness and success or achievement. That's how we use our minds normally. That's how 96% of people establish their goals and objectives and very often people will achieve those goals and objectives and realize that that they still feel empty that they're not satisfied that they're in fact dissatisfied that they are something that they didn't want at all in the first place or that it is something that they thought they wanted but they've had to pay too high a price for it i had a conversation only yesterday in relation to happiness and success with a client who was talking about the price that people pay for their perceived success, particularly in business. I recollect, and it's something I want to talk about in today's episode, many years ago, somebody saying to me when he had just set up his own business, something that he had wanted to do for years and years and years, he said, now that I'm working for myself, I work my own hours, all of them. And in other words, he was paying an enormous price for doing something that he thought he wanted to do. And like everything else in life, we need to strike a balance between our various different competing desires, wishes, hopes, dreams, and activities. Because if we don't get the balance right, we go off in a particular direction where we might achieve in one particular area of our lives, but at what cost to other areas? Of our lives. But let me come back to the question I asked right at the beginning of today's episode. How will I know the difference between what I think I need to do and what I know I need to do? How will I know it is me that is prompting me, the real me, rather than my thinking mind, the thinking mind that uses the norms that I mentioned a moment ago to define what it thinks happiness and success should be like for me based on the perceived norms of happiness and success that we see around us? because there is a world of difference. I often recount to my clients, and I go through it in more detail in the online program, how many years ago, one particular client of mine told me that his dream was to be the national sales director of an insurance company. Big job. And it's a big job that he had craved for a number of years. Craving is an interesting thing. We could have a whole episode just on craving. But I I suggested to him that maybe his goal was too constraining 
and that if he just set his mind on achieving that particular goal, he immediately put on a set of blinkers, which on the one hand would focus him on achieving that one goal, but on the other hand would blind him to all the other opportunities that are around him, some of which are probably better than the limited and constraining goal that he actually had in mind. The individual in question didn't really want my advice. He just wanted me to tell him how to set his mind to get what he thought he wanted. And, and I, of course I can tell him that uh, because there is a scientifically validated way of setting your mind to achieve what you want to achieve. Now you're far better setting your mind to achieve what's best for you because it's really good at that. In fact, it's even better at getting that than what you think you want, but, but we'll come back to that some other time. This guy went off and set his mind to achieve the objective of being promoted to the position of national sales director of a big insurance company. And about six months later, I got a call. This is in the dim and distant past before emails even really were, were widely used. He, he telephoned me and he said, uh, I just got promoted, just got that job. It was like as if he was ringing me to go, la, 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 la. you told me that that isn't what I wanted, but now I've got it. And of course, I didn't tell him that isn't what he wanted. I told him there might be something better for him. But anyway, be that as may, he rang me and he said, I got the job. And obviously offered him my congratulations. And another six months later, he rang me and he said, I don't like the job. He said, I'm working too long hours. I'm paying too high a price for a job that isn't really what I thought it was going to be. I'm not living the life that I thought I would be living as a result of getting this big job. He said, it's dawned on me that I've climbed the ladder of success and I've got to the top and I don't like the view. He said, in fact, I've come to the conclusion that I've wasted about the last seven years of my life climbing the wrong ladder. Now, this is what happens when we use our thinking mind's way of figuring out what we want, or even today, what we need to do or what we need to say, or indeed what we need to avoid doing or saying all the way back to what I started this particular episode with. How will I know the difference between what my thinking mind's promptings are and what deep down my gut instinct is actually telling me? It's a nicer way of putting it. This fellow learned the hard way that you don't go off in the pursuit of things that you want to achieve. You pursue the things that your heart desires. That, of course, begs the question I've asked twice now in today's episode. How will I know? How will I know the difference between one and the other? And for starters, let's say, for example, because this is a real life example, you are presented with an investment opportunity and the investment opportunity looks wonderful. In fact, it looks so wonderful that it is almost too good to be true. Now, your logical mind dare I say it, your greedy, normal, crazy mind, will often be sucked in to that particular too-good-to-be-true proposition. If our normal minds weren't seduced by that kind of thing, there would be no scammers. And as we know, particularly over the last two years with lockdown, internet scamming in particular has exploded. 
And there isn't a week goes by where we don't read about people having their life savings taken from them or actually borrowing to invest in something that wasn't an investment at all. How does this happen? How do people not know the difference between what their mind, their thinking mind, is telling them and what their gut instinct really knows? As I said, this relates to a real-life case. Many years ago, a client of mine was offered an investment that <laughs> to anybody listening to the proposition would say, oh, that is too good to be true. But like many people, because the scam artist in question, I believe, may have scammed about $30 million from a variety of different investors around the world, this individual was seduced by the proposition. Now, the really interesting thing is on the day he went to his bank, as he had to do at the time, you couldn't do it online. Again, we're talking about the dim and distant past. On the day he went to his bank to make the international bank transfer, as he was filling in the forms, as he was signing his name, there was a little voice somewhere deep down, way deep down, that said to him, and I quote, I'm never going to see this money again. He still signed the form. He still made the transfer. His thinking mind was seduced by the proposition of an investment that was too good to be true. And his inner voice, his gut instinct was right. He never saw a penny of that money again. And the interesting thing is that people keep making these kind of mistakes. The individual in question went on to do exactly the same thing a couple of years later. You might say to yourself, was he stupid or was he a slow learner? No, he was using his mind normally. And in my experience, talking with clients and online program owners for the last 26 years, people, when they use their minds normally, will keep doing the same things and expect a different outcome. I know it's the definition of madness, but so are Harvard's findings in relation to what they believe to be the mental state of 96% of people on the planet. 96% of people are using their mind on automatic pilot. Our minds, from an evolutionary perspective, are actually designed to operate on automatic pilot. An automatic pilot uses programs. The programs that your automatic pilot uses were learned through snapshot learning particularly during the third year of your life, and then built upon thereafter. This is where you got your impression of how good you are at some things and how bad you are at other things, how confident you are in some areas of your life and how you doubt yourself in other areas of your life. This is where you have, for example, your self-limiting beliefs and your perceived inadequacies. When you're using your mind normally, the normal mind using its automatic pilot, employing those programs, will always look to those programs to manage your understanding of what you think is going on in the here and now, and consequently manage your reaction to what you think is going on in the here and now. And it all happens automatically, and it all happens as a result, repetitively, and you keep doing the same thing, you keep making the same mistakes. Are people who don't learn from the mistakes stupid? No, they're not. 
<laughs> well, maybe they are because, you know, people like me will tell them, you're using your mind automatically. You need to snap out of it. You need to tune yourself out of your thoughts and tune yourself into the here and now. Because when we tune ourselves into the here and now, we know the difference between what our automated thoughts are telling us and what our gut instinct is telling us. That's how you know the difference. This goes for anything and everything in life. Should I say something to somebody who is in my face and bullying me? We've talked about bullies before. Your thinking mind would say, oh, no, you couldn't say that. Or what will he think of you? Or, you know, will you make matters worse rather than better? But your gut instinct is saying to you, say what you need to say. Even if you were to listen to your gut instinct saying, say what you want to say. Your thinking mind, your automated mind, will steer you clear of stepping outside your comfort zone and saying something that you would think you would be uncomfortable saying. You won't be uncomfortable saying it. You'll only think you are uncomfortable saying it. That, that's a, a normal, everyday example of the difference between what our gut instinct is telling us to do, and obviously telling us what not to do, and your thinking mind getting in the way. How many people over the last 26 years have said to me, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm getting in my own way. Or indeed, let me put it the other way around. I have a wonderful quote from a client a couple of years ago who said to me, oh, Willie, when you get out of your own way, everything is so much easier. Indeed, Modern neuroscience tells us that when you get out of your own way, everything is actually effortless. That's a scientific fact. We use almost no neural energy to do the right thing. All the energy, all the struggle, all the stress is created by us trying to think ourselves through whatever situation in which we find ourselves or trying to think through the decisions that we need to make or the choices that we need to make. Or indeed, one of the biggest choices of all, what are the things to which I would wish to set my mind so that I can achieve them effortlessly? Now, the effortlessly, I've thrown that word in again, because again, it is a scientific fact. Modern neuroscience has confirmed that again and again and again. The first main point I'm making today is that you have to stop listening to the thoughts that tell you you are inadequate or you are undeserving or if you achieved something you're feeling guilty as a result of having achieved it you have to stop paying attention to the thoughts that are telling you no you couldn't do this or that would be unrealistic you have to stop listening to the thoughts that are telling you to Live today the same way as you lived yesterday, every day before that, during your adult life, and expect something different to happen. And seriously, seriously, why do you think, and I know we're well into the new year at this stage, but why do you think most people's New Year's resolutions are the same every year? Why do you think, as many clients have said to me, oh, I'm an expert in dieting because I've tried every bloody diet on the face of the earth and none of them works. Why do you think people keep expecting a different outcome when they get out of bed every morning, allow their mind run off an automatic pilot so that they think the same thoughts, react the same way, do the same things. Nothing's ever going to change that way. And yet, and yet, 
We all have this inner voice. You might only hear it in odd time. It might be something that you will discount really quickly. Uh, let me give you an example. I was talking to somebody a couple of months ago and I asked her what outcome she wanted from a particular venture she was thinking of embarking upon. <laughs> there's, that, there's that horrible word in there. She was only thinking of embarking upon it. And she told me what she wanted to achieve. And in the same breath, she said to me, but I know that would be unrealistic. Contrast that with a conversation with an online program owner that I had during one of our Zoom group sessions. It was actually last Wednesday night. There were about 40 people on the call. And this particular girl, who uh, I, I must say, I, I only know from her, the odd time she would actually speak on these group sessions, uh, stopped the whole conversation by saying, look, when I started this online program first, I had a particular goal in mind to live in a beautiful house by the water. The very first time that heart's desire occurred to me, a flood of useless thoughts came into my head. Useless thoughts like, that is unrealistic. That's never going to happen you. Why would it happen you? How many other people have you seen achieving something like that? It's so unrealistic. You don't deserve it. You wouldn't even know how to go about getting it. So you have all these thoughts bombarded her. And she said, and yet, this last Wednesday night, she said, and yet, I'm sitting talking to you, meaning everybody in the group on that Zoom call, I'm sitting here talking to you from my new house looking out over the water. She'd set her mind. I mentioned setting your mind earlier on. And it wasn't a struggle. She realized straight away that all the thoughts that I've just mentioned are just that. They're all thoughts. But the normal mind runs on thoughts and the normal mind suppresses your inner voice or the real you or your gut instinct or your feminine intuition, whatever you want to call it. The real you suppresses that. You really have to take a step back and say to yourself, I need to practice stopping paying attention to my thoughts. I need to practice allowing my mind clear as a result. I need to do that every day and then discover that as my mind clears, everything becomes clear. And one of the most important things that becomes clear to you as your mind clears is what you really want out of life. I don't even like the word want in that sentence. What is really best for you? There is a bit of you that knows best. There is a bit of you that knows what is best for you. And this same bit of you doesn't only know what's best for you, it knows how best to go about getting it. If you'd only get out of your own way. How do you get out of your own way? You meditate. It is that simple. I know when I mention meditation to people, first of all, they say to me, that is a religious practice. Now it is for some people, but it's not from a scientific perspective, it's so much more than that. Other people will say to me, that's a spiritual practice. And it is for some people. 
but from a hard scientific point of view, it is so much more. Meditation, for starters, will spring clean your mind. I said a minute ago that the more you meditate, the clearer your mind becomes. This is a major spring cleaning job. Spring cleaning job that can be done any day of the year, should be done every day of the year. When we meditate, we do to our minds and bodies the exact opposite of what the normal mind does to our mind and body every day. The normal mind is designed to keep us alert to potential threats. That's how it evolved. That means the normal mind is consciously on edge. That means the normal mind is constantly, ever so slightly anxious. It's amazing the number of clients and program owners who have said to me, over the last 26 years, I have this dull feeling of anxiety. And I can't put my finger on why I'm anxious because I have nothing to be anxious about. It's reminiscent many years ago of a client ringing me one Sunday morning saying to me, I didn't get a wink of sleep last night. And I said to him, why? And he said, I'm worried. And I said, what are you worried about? He said, I'm worried that I have nothing to worry about. That, okay, I know that sounds silly, but it's a, it's a true story. We are constantly ever so slightly anxious when we're using our minds normally, because that is how the normal mind operates. If the normal mind wasn't constantly on edge, how? 10,000 years ago, would it be able to spring into immediate action and garner all of our attention to enable us escape from a man or woman eating beast that appears in front of us? The normal mind, when you're using it normally on automatic pilot, is ever so slightly anxious. And that's why people have this ever so slight feeling of anxiety and they can't put their finger on why they even feel anxious. It's only because it's, 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 you're using your mind the way nature intended. But the result of that is that you're dripping cortisol into your system. So cortisol, the, 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 the stress drug effectively, is increasing your heart rate. It's increasing your blood pressure. Neither of those things is good for you, particularly if it's happening every day. And even, and even more particularly, particularly it's low, if it's low level, if it's what the World Health Organization calls low level background everyday stress. And of course, that's what's happening because of this latent default feeling of ever so slight anxiety that I talked about a moment ago. So you're increasing your heart rate every day. So you're increasing your blood pressure every day. That the World Health Organization believes, is going to kill more people in the 21st century in the developed world than anything else. Way more people than COVID. Way more people than COVID. It is what the World Health Organization calls the epidemic or pandemic of hypertension, high blood pressure. When you're dripping cortisol into your system, you are also enhancing the production of LDL fatty cholesterol in your body. It's, it's going to give you a heart attack sooner or later. You're also suppressing your immune system and you're also suppressing your digestive system. People in my age, people in their 60s, remember when people who suffered from stress died from stomach ulcers. There's a pill you can take for it now, but that's why they were dying from stomach ulcers. The digestive system, along with the immune system and indeed the cardiovascular system, are seriously messed up when you're suffering from low level background anxiety. Meditation does the exact opposite. 
Indeed, modern research shows that you can meditate yourself younger. And I actually mean that physically in your brain. You can undo the aging process in the neural pathways in the brain through meditation. Not sure if meditation will make the body any younger. I think, you know, there are some things that we just can't overcome as human beings, but there you are. But the key thing that meditation enables you to do is see the wood for the trees. See what's actually going on. Understand what you actually need to do as a result of seeing what's actually going on. Not being afraid or uncomfortable to do and say the right thing and to avoid obviously doing and saying the wrong thing, you know, to go along with somebody because you feel they might think badly of you if you didn't go along with them when you know you shouldn't go along with them. Or saying no to that too good to be true investment opportunity in case, and somebody else said this to me recently, in case I offended my friend who was pushing me into the investment in question. Mad stuff, mad stuff. When we use our minds normally, we are literally constraining pretty much every aspect of our being, from our mental and physical well-being to the lives that we are only half living because we haven't turned up to them, because we are blinded by the thoughts in our own head. And even if we know how to set our minds, like my friend, the National Insurance Sales Director, who I mentioned earlier on, even if I know how to set my mind, he set his mind and put an extra set of blindfolds on by saying, I don't want anything else other than this. When in reality, he eventually discovered that there was something far more exciting and far better for him. Now, uh, uh, somebody from the online program said to me a couple of weeks ago, you're always telling stories about people who made mistakes. And you're always telling stories about people who learned how to use their minds differently and went on to new things. But you never tell us what those new things are. In other words, you never finish the story. Now, I did point out to him that there is a whole set of case studies in the online program with a beginning, middle and end that tells you exactly where somebody was and how they got to where their heart desired. This particular individual ended up working for himself, I said I'd come back to it, working for himself, living in a completely different country, moving actually between two homes in two different countries, having an absolute ball, having the life that he would love to live, having the life that was best for him. And when he started working for himself, he realized he did work his own hours. He worked the hours that suited the kind of life that he would love to live. Which brings me on to the point that so many people talk to me about. And I know, I know what I'm about to talk about personally as well, because for years, bear in mind, I am originally a tax consultant, an accountant, and a banker. It's a different life a long, long time ago. I worked for two of the world's biggest accounting firms. And all the time I was working for them, there was a little voice in my head saying, you want to work for yourself. I worked in a couple of big financial institutions and ended up as the general manager of a bank. And all the time I was doing that, and I was being really well paid at the time, there was a little voice in my head saying, you want to work for yourself. Now, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. In fact, I actually became so desperate at one stage when I was working for one of the accounting firms that I decided I was going to work for myself as a, an independent tax consultant. 
probably would have driven me to distraction. I got my letterhead printed. I was on the verge of setting up my own office when I actually, through serendipity or synchronicity, something I will discuss at a later date, I stumbled across an opportunity that eventually took me, albeit through one or two more jobs, to the place where I now find myself all those years later. But there was this niggle. It was a little voice that wouldn't go away. Somebody else used the expression, it was like stone in my shoe. And I wasn't going to go away until I did something about it. Now, I am not saying to you that you jump into doing something just because you have what some people describe as a notion. Oh, I woke up one morning and I said to myself, oh, this is something that I want to do. Now, we need at some point, by the way, and this is not a digression, but we do need at some point to talk about the research, the flow research from the University of Chicago and how it talks about spontaneity. But spontaneity being one of the attributes of people who are really in the zone, really in flow, doesn't mean doing the next shiny thing that occurs to you. It is not the same as shiny object syndrome. It is not the same as running around like a headless chicken. It means that you're so tuned in that almost your attentional spotlight in your own head lights up the way forward for you, which is so different, completely different from how your thinking mind sees things. In fact, how your thinking mind sees things is an oxymoron. Your thinking mind sees nothing. It only sees the same dark shadows of your own thoughts day in, day out. But another one of my clients said to me a couple of years ago, he said, I got this stone in my shoe in 2006. And I really wanted to set up my own business. He said, but I'm one hell of a procrastinator. And he said, I only set up my business last year. This is when I was talking to him in 2018. Now, he works in the financial area. That's how I met him originally, actually many years earlier. And had he set up the business that he wanted to set up when he decided in the first place that he wanted to set it up in 2006, when he noticed the stone in his shoe, he would have been out of business two years later as a result of the financial crash. And I said to him, you're not a procrastinator. You walk with the stone in your shoe until it's the perfect time to take it out and do something about it. Those of you who know me, those of you who perhaps are online program owners will know how we set our minds to what I call perfect moments. The moment when you experience the joy of achievement in your life. An awful lot of people ask me, why is my perfect moment not happened yet? And my answer always is your perfect moment couldn't be a perfect moment unless it happens at just the perfect moment. It'll happen when it's ready to happen. But what we need to do in the meantime is listen to what our inside is telling us, what deep down in our subconscious mind, in our subcortical brain, what deep down in the pit of our stomach, our gut instinct is actually telling us. That way, not only will we recognize that we might have a stone in our shoe, we, we will know exactly what to do, how to do it, and when to do it when the timing is perfect. And all of the rest, all of the other crap that we do day in, day out, and all of the other mistakes from which the normally minded don't learn will fall by the wayside. 
as I said, they will fall by the wayside if you train your mind to be present in the here and now. If you clear your mind through meditation, because, at the risk of repeating myself, when we clear our minds through meditation, everything becomes clear. What we really want out of life becomes clear. What is going on in the here and now becomes clear. And what I need to do in the here and now to get me to where my heart desires, that becomes effortlessly clear. And you end up, having got out of your own way, you end up just doing it. For starters today, just meditate. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, just let go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.